Welcome to the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a drop of straight talk you can't get anywhere else. We discuss the whiskeys to drink, music to listen to, and what it really takes to be an effective leader. I'm your host, Galen Bingham, the leadership strategist. Tonight's guest, author, international mental health keynote speaker, and entrepreneur, Jeremy Torsk. Hey, what you drinking? Okay, so we keep bringing incredible guests, and I'm not going to apologize for that at all. Uh, We keep bringing incredible guests because I just want to expose you to the folks that I just run into on on a daily basis. And this is no, this is no exception. Uh, This is someone who I happen to meet on another show that I do. And, you know, he just had so much incredible wisdom on that show. I just had to kidnap him and bring him into the whiskey, jazz and leadership experience. And so with that, I want to introduce to some and reintroduce to many Jeremy Torres. Jeremy, welcome to Whiskey, Jazz and Leadership. So I bring my own applause too. How about that? Hey, I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, man, I'll tell you, you know, like I said, we were on another show together. We've had a couple of other conversations together. You're doing this thing for real. And I have committed to my listeners that uh, I'm going to share straight talk, straight talk that they can't get anywhere else. So you are a no brainer. And I am just so excited that you agreed to do the show. Uh, I've got a really important question that uh, my listeners know uh, that it kicks off the entire conversation. So I'm just going to jump right into this. Fair enough. So what you drinking? All right. Today, I got the Silver Horodaro. I know it's a whiskey show, but I've been rocking tequila lately. A nice sipping tequila. Typically, I got a really big chunk of ice in there, but uh, I'm at the shop today. So I got the uh, the lawn dogs out there. I share a shop with my my son who's got landscaping. So (laughs) he's got the ice cooler out there. And yeah, a couple of rocks in the silver uh, tequila. Oh my gosh. Oh my Lord. That that looks like the real thing too, man. You showed me a glimpse of that. And in order to stay with the integrity of whiskey, jazz, and leadership, there is no surprise that I'm going to stay with whiskey. <laughs> I've and, got some crown over here, but just yes, Canadian whiskey. You know, I figure if it's not American, I might as well go with the whole thing. <laughs> going to, you know, know, this is all about doing what you do, right? Don't change up just because. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I put a lot of thought into the whiskeys that I select based upon the guests that I speak with. And for this one, I decided that, you know, based on our interaction, Jeremy, you are just like a down home good dude who's just making things work and you you get what you get and it's always (laughs) going to be good it's going to be dependable so i i decided to go with four roses uh small batch select so this isn't this isn't your normal four roses but this is a pretty available Four Roses, and it always gets the job done. It's always smooth. You can mix this if you want to mix this and not feel bad about it. You can you can sip this neat if you're in the mood for sipping it neat. 
And, you know, you, you won't get the highbrow look from anyone <laughs> sitting across the table from you. And if you want to pour this over a nice, a nice cube, this will get it done. And so based upon who I was going to be talking to this evening, I, you know, this just seemed to fit. So I'm going to break open this four roses, small batch. Let's, let's just go. Oh, love that sound. And we're going to pour just a little bit. You know, now a lot of people will ask, you know, Galen, are you really pouring whiskey or are you just like pouring like water from a pitcher? Well, <laughs> you, you can answer this question because they can't see that I'm really, I'm really, you know, doing this for you can't, fa- you can't fake that noise. Yeah, no, it's, it's what it is. Right. And uh, I think anyone who's going to go through the uh, efforts that you do to get the guests that you get to ask the thoughtful questions that you got, there's no faking on your end. That's obvious. <laughs> and I so think anyone I, who listens to you is real. So I don't think I don't think as many people are asking that as you think. <laughs> so th- so this is going to be a real conversation. And like I said, no pretense. Uh, this is just what you need to hear. This is the straight talk that I, I promise to give that folks can't get anywhere else. So while I get into this could be my new everyday. So while I get into my new everyday, this this four roses, small batch select. I would love for you to share a little bit about your background because you you've got a very interesting story. You know, everyone's got a story, but where you started from and where you're going and the path that you're on really does kind of like the four roses. It really does erase any excuse that a listener might be working on. If you can get into that, (laughs) I'm going to get into this. Sure. Yeah. So one of the things that uh, I say is in um, one of the books I wrote, my first one, if I could do it, anyone could do it because I come from a place that was pure dysfunction. And uh, the word dysfunction probably doesn't do it justice, but I, I don't know a whole lot of more words to describe it. It was, it was extremely uh, dysfunctional. My parents loved me. They were great uh, loving parents, but they were very <laughs> dis, uh, dysfunctional people. And that uh, didn't understand, didn't have a good moral compass. I guess that's the best way to do it. We didn't have many rules in my house. You know, as a kid growing up, my parents were just drinkers and uh, partiers and very young themselves, damaged people for sure. And so my sister and I came along when they were not even 20 years old. And so what do you get? You just kind of get uh, to hang around two socially stunted people who just do nothing and know nothing about uh career advice or aspirations or making yourself better is live for today. So my house every day was live for today. Uh, ever watched the show Showtime, the network Showtime called Shameless. My house on a scale of full house to shameless was about an 8.5. And uh, they just had no real parent figure. The kids raised themselves. And that's what we did. My little brother came around uh, seven years later. My sister and I kind of raised him. And I raised my parents. I was, uh, there was a backwards relationship. So at 17 years old, it was the mid eighties and cocaine had played a big role now in my house. And that was, it just made it really bad. A lot of people, a lot, very transient. So I left, I decided at 17, just to be on my own would be better. So I quit school, got short-term jobs to try to make it until uh, I could join the Marine Corps until I was 18 years old. But when I was 18, I got my GED and I couldn't go to the Marine Corps because they didn't take a GED. You needed 15 college credits. And uh, I was a very poor student, so I don't even know. When I say I quit school, I had done that about elementary school, but I just kept going, if you know what I mean. 
But at 17, I quit going. But I got a GED, which is really hard. It was fact, it would probably have been easier to get my degree than it would have been uh, to get my GED. So I was a little upset I couldn't go to the Marine Corps. But I was very, very alone at that point. But I had a job digging ditches. I was uh, around 20 years old, living in a kind of converted garage, walking to work, no bike, no car, no mode of transportation. I just used to dig the bus to the job site and start digging trenches for a contractor for the cable company. Well, I ended up staying in that career in the cable contracting world for 30 years, say for about an eight year section when I went to work directly for Comcast and got a really got a great at perspective of the Fortune 500 side of the business. But the contracting side was the side that I loved, side that I grew the most. Uh, you get more by doing more and that really suited my personality. And yeah, so after 30 years of kind of growing and doing every single aspect of that business, at one point I opened up my own business, which was going really well until it failed miserably with the house uh, housing bubble burst. And so at 38, I was homeless again because I had sunk everything into this business. But this time I had two young kids with me, all right? Two sons at the time, depending on me. So I just had to do what I had to do and just kind of struggle and, and scrape by and try to do what I can until the, the business came back, which I ended up helping a contractor build his business. And I did a really good job there. I built his business from $2 million to $60 million over three years. He started a new division, a new business. I started that business at zero, grew that to 60 million in three years, left them eventually when I was offered an equity partnership with another person to build that person's business, built that one to 60 million in three years, kind of a, a habit there. And um, about 18 months ago, he got an offer to sell that business for $35 million. And I got 10% of that. So I retired at 50 years old, a millionaire, multimillionaire, you know, with all this history, all this, you know, strife, but also all, all these lessons now. And I said, if I could do anything and I can, I could do anything I want to for the rest of my life at 50 years old, I could live comfortably on three and a half million because I have a very low maintenance guy. My wife is very low maintenance. My kids are all growing up. The, all the colleges are paid for. All I had to do was just figure out. And what I figured out I want to do is speak to how I lost businesses and made businesses and what was the difference between the two. And that's what I do. I'm a professional speaker. I have a training platform and I speak to people about the 12 elements of business. It's the ring of, big, of business and they're all related. And it's the difference between scaling your business and failing. And that's, kind, that's all I do. All I do is make content, speak and help people train to uh, grow their business. It's a great life. It's a get to life. Oh my gosh. I mean, you know, we, we hear a lot of, about people that talk about rags to riches, but I have never actually met anyone who could say I, I come from a dysfunctional home. You know, my come up was I was digging ditches and finally got to a point where I'm growing businesses from a corporate standpoint from a couple of million to 60 million. And I was able to cash out with $3.5 million in my pocket. That is an incredible story that people will not believe, but yet you've lived it. So what I would really love to understand is how do you get yourself to believe that more is possible when you're coming from a dysfunctional family? Because you know, if, if, if people will go back to season three, you'll hear my conversation with Valerie Jackson, who's the daughter of the famed mayor of Atlanta, uh, Maynard Jackson. 
but we talk about how it's almost impossible to grow beyond your worldview, but yet you were able to go from seeing real dysfunction to putting yourself in a position where you're actually living the American dream that a lot of people talk about. How does that even happen? Well, it's, it's a lot of chance. And I think that um, you know, whether you believe in God or the universe, but you're given these opportunities, you just have to, you just have to recognize it. And I, I was really bad at recognizing it. I, had, I was a rageaholic. I was um, in a lot of bad positions in my life. I was a protector. I was in over a thousand street fights between the time I was in third grade to the time I went to homelessness to the time I went to, uh, I was 20 years old, finally in some sort of positive mindset where I stopped fighting. And I'll tell you that story in a second. But then I did multiple years of, of martial arts, of, of combat fighting. And what happened for me was it was survival. It was just a survival mode. So I didn't, I, I had a reactive mindset because that was my environment. And that's what I needed to be to survive. But when I was 20 years old, uh, there was a wedding, a family gathering. I was talking to my one of my grandmothers. Who, and, you know, if your parents are that messed up, their parents are also messed up. It's a generational thing. And believe me, my sister is messed up a bit and she's getting a little better now. I had two brothers who committed suicide. That's how messed up they were. So I just had the fortunate, you know, kind of the universe opening up and, and giving me a sign. And that sign was my grandmother called me after one of these functions. I was 20 years old and she forgot she was talking to me, <laughs> which is kind of funny if you think about it. Uh, but she started complaining about my dad's new wife, that one new woman he was with at that point, complaining about how they shouldn't have come to this function because, and these are the seven words that changed my life forever, was that Jeremy and Paulette weren't even Ronnie's kids. And that's how I found at 20 years old, I wasn't my father's son. Now, most people think, oh, wow, that would set you back. But there is no back from bottom. And so what that did was gave me perspective on a potential. So it gave me a feeling that I had potential, which was the first time I ever felt that. I always had potential, it was always there, but I never believed it, never even knew it, never even, no one questioned it. People actually told me I didn't. They told me I was ugly, I was stupid, I was no patience, I fought too much. And so this was somebody telling me that I'm not necessarily that because I'm not connected with DNA to that. It just put me in a place where now I could be, I could write my own future. And wow. so I just opened that up. And that was the first time proactive ever became a thing, even though I didn't know it was proactive until years later when I read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and it talks about proactive. And I'm like, that's what it was. And I didn't know that then. But because I went to work, knowing that I, I could be more than just a ditch digger, which I always thought I was, that was the pinnacle, I started getting promoted. And what they say was success leaves clues. And when I started getting promoted, I started feeling better about myself. And that's where the self-confidence started creeping in. And I got a little bit of a raise. And then, you know, I just started doing things, asking for promotions and getting them where I never dare would have asked before. I never thought I, I deserved it, but now I wanted it. And another thing happened another two years later when I found out who my real biological father was, there was seven more words that helped me too. And, uh, it was when I finally got the phone number to call that person in another state, they answered the phone. It was a secretary who said law offices of Dewey, screw them and how, right? And I changed the names to protect the innocent because I only talked to that person for five minutes. I've never spoke to him again in my life, but that man was a lawyer and he admitted, yes, I'm your father. He always knew about me, but was, uh, had his own things going on. And that's all I needed from him, even though he was a, a also really messed up guy, but he was at least a smart guy. And now I knew I had brains. 
And from there, the hockey stick effect happened where now not only was I, I could be anything, but I was smart enough to be anything. And then I started reading for the first time, even though I was dyslexic, I just started feeding off of books. And that's really what changed everything for me was the belief in myself and then exposing myself to the people who did what I want to do, which is just look at world as, as a place of opportunity instead of things happening to me, they were really happening for me. Wow. I, I mean, I, I never grow tired of hearing your story because so often we think that we are our labels. The label that we're given, that that is the totality of who we are and what we are going to be. And actually, that's not true. We're not our label, but we believe that we are. Well, right? we kind of are. We kind of are our label, but we get to decide that. You give yourself affirmations. People think that every day successful people do affirmations. Guess what? More poor people do affirmations than rich people because affirmations are negative and positive. Anything you tell yourself is an affirmation. And poor people, people with dysfunctional minds and, and reactionary minds, their affirmations are all negative. They tell themselves bad things about themselves and those are their labels and that's what they are but they can easily, just as easily be positive, uplifting, supportive, uh, and positive, and that will be them as well. That label will fit the same way as the negative ones do. But when you don't understand how affirmations work both ways, you're doomed because your natural state is ne negative. I don't understand why God did that to us, but he did. It's like a cruel trick. Your natural state is negative. It's harder to be positive. You gotta work for it, especially when you have chemical mis fires in your brain like I do with my family, my family history of, uh, I call it mental unwellness. I don't call it mental illness. There's a, it's a spectrum, you know, but I have definitely roots of depression in myself and I know that. So I have to fight double hard about that, but that's an effort. So I have to try to do it when I don't try the negative stuff just comes automatically. Just it's like it is when, uh, what do they call it? Uh, the one where we met, which is the, how to grow rich, right? Think and grow rich. Think and grow rich. Being poor will happen automatically, right? It, it will take over and you will be poor. It's very easy. However, having the mindset to tell yourself to do the things you have to do every single day is work. But if you do it, you will have better mindset, better positivity, more opportunity, better friends that you surround yourself with and always set these levels. But it's never, ever a given. And that's kind of the difference. Wow. Okay, so you you are reminding me of so many other conversations because what you just said reminded me of um, my conversation with Michelle Navarez, who is the author of Beyond EI. She's the teacher that taught me all this fancy stuff about emotional intelligence. And one of the things that she says is that you get to own the reality that you fight for. You get to own the reality that you fight for. And so many people will fight for that negative reality. And once they believe that they are a ditch digger and mm -hmm. that they are the products of dysfunctional parents, and if you try to suggest that they're, that that might not be everything that they are intended to be, they will argue with you because they're fighting for their reality. You get to own whatever reality you fight for. And oh my gosh, you are, you are just the embodiment of that. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And, and it's not something I elected to be, but when you're born at that level and raised in an, in an era that you have no control over, I just don't have an excuse. When I was 20 years old, I had an excuse. And when I heard those words coming out of those people's mouths, I knew I had a duty at that point. 
I wasn't connected with the blood work and I, uh, and I was smart. I wasn't dumb, but even if I were connected by blood, even if my, that guy wasn't a lawyer and I never met that guy, I talked to him five minutes, even if I weren't, if you just tell yourself you are better than that, you are smart, you, you deserve more, you'll get yourself elevated. Will it be it to the point of being able to build a business from 20, you know, 2 million to 60 million? I don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no, but it's definitely, I would have been better off than a ditch digger. Even if I ha had the IQ I have, I just didn't know it, and it, but it was a lot of work. But if let's say as somebody who, uh, I, I've never been to school past 10th grade, a few night classes, all of my knowledge comes from books. So let's say if, if my dyslexia was so bad, I couldn't read your attitude alone will elevate you higher than you are now. You don't need to say, oh yeah, your dad's a lawyer, easy to say you have brains. It's not, it's like me watching a bodybuilder, right? And saying, I could never be that big because I'm not related to somebody with that many muscles. Bull crap. It just takes the work. And if yeah. he, maybe I'll never be as big as him, as, as cut and as lean, but I'll be bigger and more cut and more lean than I am now if I just try. I'm not gonna just start off by saying, I don't have the DNA, so it can't be. No, all you gotta do is do the work and you'll be better. And better is better. I don't care where you are, better is better. Hey, it's not too late. Hit that subscribe button so you're sure to catch the next episode. If you're really enjoying the vibe, leave us a review or become a VIP for guests and show exclusives. Cheers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.